Welcome to back to the Hoop Scoop Media College Basketball Podcast. Actually, it's the Scoop College Basketball Podcast presented by Hoop Scoop Media. But this is our first podcast of the offseason. We officially have seven months of no college basketball, which is not ideal. But, you know, it's right now we have still a lot of stuff to talk about. Once it gets into like the dead months of the summer, Content might be a little short, and we'll have to come up with some. I'll have to come up with some stuff to talk about. But right now, we have plenty to talk about. We have to talk about a Final Four, which is obviously, definitely something to touch on. We have a few coaching hires to hit on this episode. Um, more high, higher and mid major jobs that were uh filled this past week. No um, Power Six jobs, and then we're gonna talk about some preseason early rankings way too early rankings because the reason why they are way too early is because the transfer portal is still in full circle there's still like so many players out there there are well over a thousand players in the portal that haven't found a home yet so we will also talk about the commitments in the portal and uh every power six commitment so far so you know let's just get into this talking about the final four so UConn, UConn just controlled it, and I'm not super surprised that they did. I always knew that was a possibility, and if they were playing good, then that would happen. Um, yeah, what are your thoughts just on yeah. the Final Four? Well, I think I really think the Florida Atlantic-San Diego State game stole the show for the overall weekend, but UConn... Re- it reminded us of its of its blue blood status. I guess people like get into semantics, splitting hairs, debates about that. But UConn, I I didn't give I didn't give the Huskies enough respect, and I kind of I I I kind of had the increasing thought that they'd get on the national platform at the highest stage, the Final Four, and and kind of show that in the, in the most stark light possible. And there and they finished off the job, national champs. Um, but I, the most the most appealing game of the of the weekend was the buzzer beating. San Diego State win. Uh, I really was confident in my Florida Atlantic pick, and it looked really good for large stretches of the game. Really, I felt pretty pretty strongly throughout that the Owls were gonna hold on. But yeah, I mean they were they were up by like fourteen with like what was it like ten minutes left? I don't remember the exact time, but they were up yeah. by fourteen, like somewhat into the second half. Yeah, and fourteen points. That's kind of a funky. Like when you think about that, that sounds insurmountable, but. 14 points is really seven, seven possessions, which is really two like kills, like two, two, two straight sets of three straight stops. You know, like it, it takes a lot. It takes defense to start, but it's not, it's not completely, it's not unreasonable to come back from. And obviously it's not easy to do. I don't mean to say that, but it, it was a great display of a team hanging around in the game, you know, piecing it, piecing, come back together. So San Diego state, a worthy opponent the way the way that that clutch finish worked out for the Aztecs but UConn was on was on another level this is a, the computers the computers kind of got vindicated Austin because the metrics the metrics were were like were a big fan of Connecticut and that was for for good reason so I it it was it was it was a good weekend it was a good weekend I think to top off a I what the final four was fun but really the overall tournament is my bigger impression like the 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 tournament was terrific so they really, it really was a great way to kind of tie up what we talked about in the regular season, which was it's really hard to discern a true number one 
number one overall team or number one overall seed. And then the number one seed has really performed pretty, pretty poorly relative to what we, uh, what we presume or expect sometimes. So it was, the final four was, was fun. I think it was going to be hard for me to come off the emotion, all the fun and emotions of the buzzer beater game. But um, no, UConn Miami was interesting too. I, we went from when the FAU game where the Owls had a lead, we thought maybe you'd have the Florida, the all Florida, the all, beach national championship game and then we got the opposite of that but it was it was fun just the same um people overreact to like cbs ratings and stuff for it but like the overall tournament i'm sure did fine in viewership there was a lot there was a lot that was discussed about it the fun underdogs drew a lot of drew a lot of eyeballs i'm not going to discount just because ratings for a kind of a mismatch final four were lesser it was it was good for the sport yeah, I don't think ratings that stuff really matters at all just because like a million less people watch the final four than last year like it doesn't mean anything and part of why the ratings were a little lower is because everyone was like going into saying like oh this is going to be a bad final four even though it was definitely not but the caliber of the teams were not as like at least seating wise were not as it was in a lot of years so then like a lot of casuals it's like well san diego state fau like why would i tune into this game but People that did not tune into that game missed a lot, and I was I was shocked at San Diego State one. Like, it just felt like FAU was gonna win that game. Like when Butler hit that shot, I was just I was just stunned. Like, I I just I just thought FAU like had yeah. the game. Like it's I thought there be, was no way they would lose that. It's gonna be shown in coaching textbooks or digital coaching textbooks. Press play on the video where. San Diego State, no timeout. Let him, let him play it out. And the season's on the line. It's not like it's a tied game. Like you have to hit that shot to to make it to make it shake. And oh my goodness. And the fact that it was in Houston on the same end of the floor as the Chris Jenkins shot really made like that was especially fun. Like I was I love the comparisons to that. I mean, obviously different, not the actual national title game, national semifinal, but still the that moment, it's up there. It goes right up there with those kind of legendary plays. The the Suggs shot uh is in that mix like it's all that that michigan shot from years ago too uh in the tournament yeah it's those are all up there for me yeah i i didn't realize like watching it live how close uh butler's foot was out of bounds on like i didn't even like it didn't even seem like it could be like that controversial and obviously the replay like showed that he was in bounds but it was like right there like i didn't even realize that in real time that he was that close to potentially stepping out of bounds and giving FAU to win there. But yeah, that was, yeah. I mean, I'm not sure if they re- that play was like really had anything going, but I mean, Butler got a good look and I mean, hypothetically, I mean, that's Butler might not be the guy you necessarily want taking that shot, but I mean, you know, it, it worked in that situation and it's no bigger spot yeah. for it to work than that, so you can't take any fall with that shot. Right. But and the, and you and with, with time being such a crunch, like you can't get always the perfect guy that you want in that spot. Like it, it's going to have to be the player with the ball in his hands up against the wall. So it was it was really really it was a great symbol of March. Yeah, and yeah, st- still an amazing run from FAU. And you know, did you see uh, Dusty May like a few hours ago? He got a ten year contract extension. Um, actually in these last several hours, I had not, I had not, that had not come across my desk yet. It, it, it was a pretty recent headline, but yeah, 
who knows if he will actually be there those 10 years. It's not really how that works, but that will make the buyout significantly larger for any uh, opposing school wanting to hire May as their head coach. So, yeah, I mean, FAU definitely stepped up, and, I mean, to keep a guy like that, you have to give him more resources like better facilities, a big contract. And I mean, they're doing everything they can to keep him. And yeah, F- FAU could be back next year. Like I'm not just saying you're going to make to the final four because you can't really, it's hard to predict. Like it's hard to say something like that way too early, but they, they are a good team and they return eight out of their nine rotation players. They, they should try to get like one or two transfers. Um, Nobody that they've been super connected to. I know uh, they were showing some interest in JV and McCollum, but I do not think they will. They weren't in this final five. So, yeah, but enough talk about FAU next year. Um, yeah, moving on to the championship game, um, UConn, just, UConn just dominated. And really, UConn was the best team in the country four out of the five months in college basketball. Like, I I think that's a pretty fair statement to make. They just had a terrible January, but like you know, even though they were a four seed, like they were number one in Ken Palm, the in uh, post tournament rankings. But yeah, they yeah, were even yeah, they they were they were that good. Like it shouldn't come out as a surprise to anyone right. today. One at all and deceiving seeds were kind of a theme here, right? Like Florida Atlantic being the nine. It, that was in this final grouping, UConn being four. Like, I think Miami was probably seated like that. I don't think that was necessarily off. Oh, that seed wasn't really off kilter to me. But um, yeah, what a, it, it, I, I, I don't know why some people like like to have the like push the the Twitter take of like ah it it Cinderellas are only good until you get to like a certain round and then you want to see like I don't need to see like that much talk like it to see all this mismatch of seeds is like makes it really come across as a an authentic tournament you know it really is uh, not played on paper so i no i i enjoy, I enjoyed seeing it yeah you can you can really like just controlled both games they played and i mean the uh championship game got a little closer but then i think it got did it get to like five was that the closest it got i know eight for sure right i, th- I then... think got i think it got to five and then UConn like stretched it back out to eight, and then it just was kind of over from there. Yeah, hard, hard to hard to ask the Aztecs to dig themselves out of two two holes in two Final yeah. Four games, or like yeah. you know what I mean, like the, the semifinal followed by yeah, the title yeah. game. It's hard to, but, but they made it interesting. Like they yeah, yeah, made sure. it somewhat interesting down the line sure. in the championship game. Like it, it, it could have been over a lot earlier than it was. Yeah, yeah, it could have turned into a little bit of a laugher, but that, yeah, credit to SDSU for not permitting that. Yeah, but I think I think it was always kind of there that if UConn just played good, they would just run away with it, and they, sort and of they did. Game to lose, yeah, and they yeah. did. The, the only chance was really San Diego State just completely stopping them on defense, which San Diego State, arguably the best defensive team in the country, they could not really stop UConn. Snogo was just Snogo had a great game. When he was making those threes, like, in the first few minutes of the game, like, I, I knew San Diego State was in some trouble then because, yeah. Yeah, that's the most outstanding type stuff right there. So, yeah, it was an early sign. Yeah. Um. 
So any any other notes about the Final Four, about the whole season of college basketball that, we, that you want to touch on before we head into our uh, kind of more off-season portion? I, I think I think the I've kind of touched on the the big picture stuff. I thought the 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 Owls Aztecs game was the best game of the weekend, but the overall the tournament overall like the Final Four, it it's it's easy to be bittersweet about this one because the the road up to it like that looks like the road ends here like the road up to this one was was really a fun ride so uh we're gonna we're gonna make it through these next months we're gonna make it through because we, we made it with last season we made it through those months in the summer and everything we'll we'll get there we'll get there yep yeah S- seven more months that's a lot of months but for most of the off season we still have like college basketball stuff going on um you, you obviously... mentioned the guys that portal still need still need spots so. Yeah, and I mean, we're only touching on the commitment today, and we have a long right. list of players to touch on. There are far more players that have not found a home. That'll go on for a few more months. There's a little bit of dead offseason, like I mentioned, in, like, the midsummer. But then once we get into, like, the school year, and then that's when, like, all the preseason content starts coming. You'll see, like, all, like, the team previews dropping, all that stuff. And is there any, um like... FIBA stuff like the U eighteen U nineteen. Do you know? I I don't know. Is there any like stuff that this off season? Because so sometimes that's some good uh content um with like there's like college players and like good high school players. I don't know if that's happening this summer. Looking in looking into it, we have the twenty twenty three FIBA U nineteen basketball World Cup. But that, okay. that yeah, that looks to be late June, early July. Okay, so I mean that'll be some good content. I um, rosters obviously haven't come out for that, or like tryouts haven't even happened. But I'm assuming a lot of uh college basketball players, uh, freshmen, uh, more so, and uh, maybe maybe some like high schoolers will be participating for the United States and some other uh countries for that matter in the uh. FIBA World Cup, but yeah, I remember two years ago, two years ago was a really good one when it was like, um, Chet and again, like Wembenyama and Yidi was for Canada and th- those were some good games, but in l- last year it was just like the Americas one with like U18, so like they were, that, that wasn't that fun because it was just like the USA team beating on a bunch of third world countries with like no D one prospects. So, but yeah, if this is if this is the same one that was two years ago, that will be some actual like good content. But yeah, moving on to like because we actually have some content now. So instead of speculating about what there could be in the middle of June, um, let's talk about some coaching hires. So as I mentioned, no high major hires, but. There, there were some good ones. The most notable being Ryan Odom going from Utah State to VCU, obviously after Mike Rhodes went from VCU to Penn State. And I think I think Odom is a great coach. Like, this is a great hire for VCU. Like, I'm not really sure if you can say he's as – can you say he's as good as Rhodes? Like, I mean, it's certainly not like a downgrade necessarily – like VCU fans will take this for sure. I apologize, my Zoom started messing with me, but no, I I I, I was trying to fix my Zoom so I could say I agree with you about uh, Ryan Odom. It, it's cool 
for me as an East Coast guy to see Ryan Odom make his way back out here. Uh, when he departed UMBC for Utah State, I certainly, you know, understand. I understood it, uh, no question about it. Uh, and Utah State is is a you know a, a really good Mountain West uh, program in terms of upside and ceiling. But I do I do think that it's kind of a good move for Odom to get back to this area, especially just in Virginia specifically. He was an assistant at Virginia Tech from 03 to 2010. Uh, he spent time in the mid-major ranks in the DMV at uh, American as well as an assistant earlier in his career. Uh, as a as a player in college, he played at Hampton Sydney, which is not too far uh, there in Virginia. So I, I think it sort of parallels what the way it made sense for Rhodes to go to Penn State and pave the way for this. It, there are some kind of similar reasons that it makes sense for Odom. Uh, I I I do kind of wish, like selfishly, that I could have gotten to see Odom at Utah State a little longer because I was kind of wondering uh, how. I, I'm I'm curious how that would have turned out just like longer term uh, if he had just more runway there. But he is certainly uh, I don't think in a position to be criticized for taking this. Um, but because VCU is pretty well made, uh, the top of the A10, uh, the the A10 obviously has work to do to kind of regroup and get back to up to up to snuff as an overall league. It was down, you know. We keep saying that, and uh, but that's not Odom's problem. Like Odom. Winning the if Odom can win the A10 early on, that's still gonna look good. You know, that's still gonna look good. And I, when I see this, I, I don't mean it to chalk Virginia Commonwealth up to another stepping stone because I'm sure he'll be pretty happy here and he'll probably spend more than just two seasons at VCU, uh, unlike Utah State. But I'm thinking this is a coach who's going to wind up. I mean, like VCU has a piece in place where he'll he'll be able to make a click there. I mean, I I think he's going to wind up coaching a Power Five eventually. Um, yeah, but I mean, it, I mean, yeah. Certainly, yeah, that, that, because... those are my overall thoughts. I think it's a good move for him. I would think personally he's pretty happy to do it. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know how long he'll be at VCU even because it's a, it, it, it's a, it's a really attractive job at the mid-major level and he'll he'll probably do quite well for himself pretty early. Yeah, VCU is absolutely a place you can win at. But when you look at the past three VCU coaches, they have all moved up to high major jobs. Obviously, you have Rose who just left. You have Will Wade went to LSU and Shaka Smart went to Texas. So yeah, VCU is definitely a place that you can win at. I mean, you you can win tournament games at VCU, absolutely. Like it, it's a good program, good fans, good. It, it's yeah, it's, it's just a place you can win, but it's also a good stepping stone. Like Penn State, like okay, maybe, maybe that's not like the best uh, example, but like L- LSU and Texas are like good jobs. So like when I mean, obviously. Those same jobs won't be open necessarily, but like that's the caliber of jobs that VCU head coaches have gotten just in the past ten years. So, but but yeah, more about Odom. Um, the, his name has been in, had been in some other jobs this off season, and this kind of seemed like he wanted to go back to the East Coast. I mean, he's an East Coast guy. He's a Virginia guy. He's yeah. He, his name was tossed around South Florida, I know. But yeah, VCU was VCU is was probably the best job available at the time, I believe. And I mean, yeah, he, he's a Virginia guy, so um the roster is looking pretty barren right now, but I fully believe he can build it up. I'm waiting to see if he will get any of the Utah State guys enter the portal because all their good guys, including uh Steven Ashworth, who I really like, are in the portal. But I Ashworth, I don't know if he's going to go to VCU or not. I think he could go bigger, potentially. But moving on from Odom, his replacement at Utah State is Montana State 
coach Danny Sprinkle. I mean, I, I like it. He's been winning at Montana State recently, and I think he's a good guy, good coach. It's Can't really fault this hire. I mean, I know Sprinkle, I feel like I've seen him in a few other coaching searches potentially. But yeah, it, it's a good hire. Any any thoughts on this one, Dan? Yeah, this makes sense geographically. Uh, Montana State enters twenty twenty three with a lot of momentum, and that's to a lot of credit of uh, Sprinkle. Earlier in his career, he spent a fair bit of time at Cal State Northridge. Uh, so I mean, it, West Coast is West Coast, but like it is kind of like recruiting student athletes to come to Utah is a little different than California or even um, Bozeman, Montana. But I. Utah State has, we talked about VCU's fan support. Utah State has the support. Mountain West job, first kind of high-end mid-major opportunity for Sprinkles. So, yeah, I don't I don't, I don't think there's a bone to pick with this one either. Um, but I do think that it's, it's interesting to me that, like, it sort of feels like VCU is ahead of Utah State in the pe- pecking order in terms of, like, I mean, it depends. Like, Odom is skewed that way but in terms of the East Coast. But, like, it seems like VCU is a bit higher up, like, just – on the coaching ladder seems like a touch higher up is that partially because of the track record of coaches who have moved on from vcu to directly to the p5 or p6 i should say yeah i mean that could be but i'd find it interesting because mountain west is the better league right now too so it's interesting that sprinkle though to his point to his own acceptance of this job good hire yes and moving uh, back to the east coast george mason has hired maryland assistant tony skin um, I, th- I mean, I don't know a ton about Skin, but I think this is a solid hire. He played at George Mason. Um, believe he was on that Final Four team. He's had some pretty solid coaching experience, coaching at Louisiana Tech, Seton Hall, Ohio State, and Maryland before taking this job. So, um, you know, I don't really have any issues with this. Higher. Um, I guess we'll see how it plays out, but yeah, I mean, I, I like it. Any yeah, thoughts I'm, on? I'm interested in, and he's a pretty young guy. I mean, he's a mm-hmm. 40 year old. Uh, as we record this, his playing career wasn't too long ago, um, up until 2012. So that, I, I think that's kind of a, a plus too. You, you you try your hand at a guy who's gonna be you know a pretty youthful voice and connect with, um connect with obviously the recruits of today's generation so i think george mason read and react and uh yeah this is this is this is another one i feel like we've been pretty complimentary of these moves but they they this this adds up too mm-hmm. yeah obviously uh kim english george mason's last coach was he's like a player's guy like uh also pretty young and could connect with them i mean i i don't know if skin is like the same way but it's definitely kind of the same model that they're going for Instead of, uh, I mean, their last coach before was Dave Paulson, who um, he he's uh, a little bit of an older guy compared to him. So, um, yeah, I mean, English definitely had some relative success compared to what George Mason had accomplished in the past decade. So, yeah, I well, speaking of Paulson, he just landed a new job too up at uh, Holy Cross. He did. He did. And yeah, I know he was also in contention to take the Bucknell job 
back. He did not get that. Uh, they hired a Villanova assistant, but yeah. Uh, his George Mason. He, came up. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. he did get hired at Holy Cross recently. His George Mason tenure was not very great, but yeah. Um, solid hire in skin. And moving on, uh, Ross Hodge has been hired by North Texas or more elevated by North Texas because he had been on staff for Grant McCaslin. Um, I think it's just a good hire as long as he just keeps doing the same thing as McCaslin. Um, I mean, he had been working with McCaslin for a while. He was at Arkansas State with him for a year. He was at North Texas with him for six years. So, yeah, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm pretty sure North Texas had. Uh, Hodge of mine for yeah yeah he, when, he, he when was have the coach in waiting he so was this, he was always yeah. a guy don't don't overthink it yeah Occam's razor yeah I mean just do the same thing that McCaslin's been doing it's been absolutely working for him at North Texas so no need to change anything up there Amir Abdurrahim has been hired by South Florida this is a great hire in my opinion he took Kennesaw State from the ground up they were bad when he got hired and they made the tournament this year and they almost won a game in the tournament and uh, we'll talk about it later in transfer but he already got three very solid Kennesaw State players to follow him so yeah um, I think this is a good hire I know he was also being tossed around at Georgia Tech so I mean I if he can uh, bring back like a winning culture to South Florida. He's a, he's a good recruiter too. So yeah, yeah I, I, like I mean, I'm very interested in this. This is probably one that like I circle, not because I'm like calling it like the number one best hire, but I'm like, I'm probably most intrigued by it because yeah, the, the, the success of Kennesaw state that culminated in this recent tournament appearance and the way that appearance went, and it was a strong showing by Kennesaw and now translating into, into momentum for Mir to get this USF job. USF is a whole athletic department that I think would probably like to really improve its image through like football, men's basketball. Like it would be a big deal for USF to be better positioned to catch up to UCF, who I think like I think the big picture, like in USF's minds, like UCF heading to the Big 12, like that's a rough, this is a rough moment for South Florida, right? It's like, but it's still a good location. It's still South Florida. And there isn't enough. I still don't think there's enough Miami NIL money to get everybody who wants to play in South Florida, right? So, like, there are still recruits who are going to be happy to play in that area and go to school there. Um, so there, there's there's a lot to sell, and now they have the coach who can sell player development and program building and all that all all that went, occurred at Kennesaw State. So this is potentially this is potentially big for South. I mean, it's it's big. It's a new head coaching hire, and it's a it's mm-hmm. a bigger name, a name who's been on the rise, but. I think it's big in, in like the macro for USF. Like I know foot, you know, football drives a lot of realignment, but I South Florida could use like a like a jolt. <laughs> so this this is this is this is a good one. This is a good one. I, I'm um I'm circling this one. Yeah, she definitely brings a lot of energy into the program, and yeah, I'm yeah I'm just excited to see what really transpires of this hire because I really liked him, like especially this past season at Kennesaw. And it was kind of inevitable that he was going to move up this offseason. It was just a matter of where. And I think South Florida is a place that you can you you can recruit there. I mean, like Brian Gregory got some like 
he got like Kayla Murphy there. Like he he was getting some solid guys, just couldn't coach him at all. So I mean, he 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 will be able to win there. Um, I believe. Uh, moving on, Adam Fisher was hired at Temple. Uh, do you know uh, much about Fisher? I know that's more in uh, your area of the country. Yeah, well, so I, I was tracking this because this is right up the road for me, of course. And so I was tracking this pretty closely. And I was so surprised that Temple, I can't even say moved off of, but like didn't zero in on Matt Langle. Like, yes. at, I, like I was really telling everybody who would listen, like, oh, I'm pretty confident, like, not that I have any inside information or reporting on it, but just, you know, basically assuming, which, you know, there, there's a lesson there. What don't, don't, don't go too many bridges too far and trying to assume in these coaching searches. But uh, I, I do think that it makes sense for um, te Temple to tap uh, somebody from the Micah Shrewsbury tree. So Adam Fisher comes uh, from uh, Shrewsbury's uh, Penn State staff. And so I think it's impressive that Temple was able to honestly – um, you know, pursue Fisher. I, I, I'm sure Fisher may have had some inclination of thinking about going to Notre Dame as well, but Fisher served as associate head coach with Shrewsbury. And so when the head coach does really well at a P5, who's not known as a basketball school, do typically you would think the associate head coach can get some looks elsewhere as well. So Fisher earned these looks. Um, he was a grad assistant at Villanova uh, in the 07, 08, 09 range. So he, he had the uh, seal of approval from Jay Wright. Temple included Jay Wright's uh, Basically, little uh, what, what do you call it? Why is it slipping my mind? This is ridiculous. I the is uh you know, refer not Jay Wright's referral, but Jay Wright basically giving him giving putting his two cents about what a great guy Adam Fisher is, all that all that good stuff. So, uh, so I'm sure Temple will start with that to have the little Jay Wright fingerprints on there as well. But, um, I think Adam Fisher, I mostly just have to give him you know a non biased you know fresh look because I was I was jarred a little bit when the search completely moved in a direction that wasn't Langle. So yeah, uh, I mean that, that, yeah. that's not Fisher's fault. Fisher has coaching experience at Miami as well. So I think you know if he can get Temple in the door in other area like getting kids from South Florida to Philadelphia could be interesting. It's, I talked about USS conference situation. Temple is kind of in the American is kind of in a yeah, I kind of waiting out yeah. at sea kind of place. Like a temple can't be in the Big East now these days. That ship isn't there, and the A10 isn't. I don't think going to go for Temple either. I don't think in the near foreseeable term. So, um, you have to you have to get somebody who is just going to get it done in that Big Five area. And to, I mean, Fisher is from uh, Bucks County, so he, he like he checks that box. Bucks County, PA, uh, is right there in that southeastern Pennsylvania region. So. Uh, this, this, yeah, this Fisher hire checks boxes for local roots, successful with Micah Shrewsbury, Jay Wright ties, like, you know, so I can understand why they, why they went this way. Yeah. Um, yeah, this coaching jurors was a mess. They were, yeah, I don't know why they didn't hire Langle. I, I don't know if he, uh, turned down the job or it's like kind of moved on from him, but then they were going to hire the, uh, Missouri's, uh, associate head coach. Uh, he, reportedly turned that job down then they went to fisher who um a little bit of a mixed public reaction but i think he can i mean it's it's probably worth a shot if you're temple so and then one thing i want to note and i did not write down on the outline is that alabama they had three assistant coaches named as head coaches this offseason and that is 
That is crazy to me. Like, yeah, that's unprecedented. That that's remarkable. You want to talk about one offseason having a whole new set of branches to a coaching tree? <laughs> mm-hmm. And then, did you see today? I don't know if it's official yet, but they're going to hire Austin Clunch as an assistant who had been at Nichols for the past few years, which is honestly like that's a great assistant hire. Like he was winning at Nichols, and I mean, you you can't really win there with how bad their budget is. But I'm guessing Clunch will not be at Alabama long term as he is just using this to get a head coaching spot like those other three guys. Like Nichols' budget has bad. Like he he kind of maxed out there. Yeah, well, you you, you one of the biggest compliments I think Coach could get is like really maximizing a lot with a little. So Southland strong at Nichols Nichols State University. How about that? And uh, I mean, it if you're a young coach who's moving up from a mid major situation. Alabama has to be a call you would take because look at look at what just look at what just happened. Alabama's producing a lot of uh next career steps for guys. And you're winning yeah. along the way. Not to mention that. Yeah, I think Clunch could be a rising star in the business. He's like 33 and he's already proven to be like a pretty solid coach. I would expect him to be hired as a head coach somewhere next offseason. He was in the running for some jobs this offseason. He just uh didn't get them, but yeah, he Nichols has a very poor basketball budget, and he was able to like build a Southland contender out of them. Which, although he never made the tournament, I don't believe he still definitely accomplished some good things there at Nichols compared to what other people probably would have done. Um, so moving on from the coaching hires. Um, it's it's never too early to start looking ahead next season. We might have still seven months, but it's always fun to look at the way too early top 25s. And I actually made a way too early top 25 that released the day after the championship game. Um, so, Dan, since, uh, since I was the one that wrote this, what things are you, like, really, like, looking in? And what, what things are you, like, highlighting on my way too early top 25. Yeah, I, I start the top with Marquette. Uh, Tyler Kolek, his breakthrough year, as you describe it in your piece on uh, hoopscoopmedia.com. I mean, we yeah, mentioned Chaka Smart. Yeah, you, you should definitely check it out. It's a good, quick-hitting read. Uh, player names in bold, easy to navigate, easy to find your team and your favorite players. Uh, but yeah, so we in on the show, time and time again, we circle back to Marquette's Ascension from ninth in the Big East preseason poll. They won't sneak up on anybody this coming 2023 season. Uh, and that's reflected by your placement of them tops in the way too early uh, poll. I mean, I would ask you as well. I was thinking this as I was reading through. This is kind of at this time. It, this, it's an at this time top 25. Really not. It's it's partly projective on your part, but not entirely. Right. Because there are. There are situations. Um, honest, where honestly, this is the, this is mostly just like what I know right now. Yeah. And like s- some things I want to throw in is like. I know that Kansas will get guys from the portal, but like they they don't really have much right now outside of Dewan Harris and KJ Adams, which is where I, I ranked them 18th. Gonzaga, I did not rank Gonzaga. Um, they did get a, a big time transfer in Steel Ventures yesterday, but they did not have it at the time of him at the time of publication. So like I, there is no reason to rank the Gonzaga roster, even though they will most likely be ranked in uh, like the November version of this. And yeah, just a lot of these teams like, like th- this doesn't really mean much, but yeah, like th- these will be shaken up a lot. But sure. 
I, I'm yeah. just doing this on like okay. what yeah. I know right now. Right. Like a lot, okay. a lot of these guys like that are in this uh, poll like could transfer, and some of them have already. So, yep. Uh, so okay. So another note I had is the Pac-12. So UCLA is number sixteen, and Colorado number nineteen. I do think that definitely Eddie Lampkin uh, securing that transfer uh, from TCU. That that I was interested in me to see Colorado in the uh, top twenty. I mean, Colorado just has so much more swag with a Dion overall. Like hard not to, hard not to show Colorado some love. But I I am interested to kind of see, you know, your thoughts on Colorado, UCLA, and then obviously you can't talk Pac twelve without talking Arizona. Arizona tops it's among Pac twelve. Also schools. had also had USC in the rankings. Yeah, and U USC just a quick note. It looks like they might pick up a commitment from Bronny James relatively soon which i'm honestly not sure if that would change the ranking but but they did get they did get uh boogie ellis back today as well so so they would be higher if i did this right now because of getting boogie to return for his fifth year but yeah about the pac-12 like these teams are just uh like pac-12 isn't a conference i'm regularly super high on because just the talent hasn't been there in the past few years but like um Arizona, they could potentially return to Bellis and Bello. They will, and also Larson, uh, they will get Ryan Nemhard, which, uh, yeah, that'll keep them there. Um, you think Arizona benefits from the Virginia-like comeback off a big upset? Like the following year, we know what happened with Virginia, UMBC the following year. Do you think that Arizona takes that kind of fire into this coming season? I mean, I'm not going to say they're going to win national championship <laughs> off of that, but I mean, their their roster is looking pretty good right now. And yeah, I mean, losing Kirk Risa is not the worst thing that could happen. I think I think there are uh, definitely some positives to not having him on the team anymore. Not that he wasn't a solid player, but yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say they're going to win it all, but they definitely are in a good position right now. And, uh, yeah, they could be in the line to land some big-name transfers. So, yeah, I mean, Arizona could be in the contention for a one seed next year. But, you know, we're still seven months away from season, so we don't know much. But, um, yeah, I have UCLA at 16. Um, this was this is depends a lot on draft decisions because as of right now, I have Amari Bailey and Adem Bona returning for the Bruins. There is a chance that one or both could leave. Bailey is probably the more likely to leave if one of them would, which would uh, definitely lower them in the rankings. But they did pick up a transfer day to Utah guy, Stefanovich. Um, but, which I don't think really... I mean, may maybe it moves them up a little bit right now because they're a little thin, but I think he'll probably be like a fifth starter or like bench piece once they get their full lineup filled out. But yeah, UCLA is just um I like Dylan Andrews, their point guard, to have a uh maybe a sort of breakout season. But yeah, I was just basing U UCLA to high on behalf of like Bailey having a huge season, like potentially all American caliber. And yeah, that that was the main reason and I, I think I think UCLA is a team that will be higher in my final preseason poll because I, I really like what Mick Cronin has done with the Bruins program. Um, yeah, Colorado, Colorado. 
Colorado has been definitely one of the winners of the offseason so far just because they've got Lampkin, who, who is a pretty big pickup and fills a gap. Um, there was They were the favorites for Graham E.K. Um, I, I don't think they'll, they're really in the running for him anymore because they picked up Lampkin first. Um, and maybe maybe picking up Lampkin instead of E.K., gives opportunity for some more NIL money to be thrown around because I'm assuming EK had a, a little bit of a higher price. So maybe that gives him an opportunity to land another good transfer. But yeah, like if KJ Simpson and um, Tristan uh, De Silva come back, like those are two all pack 12 guys and you add in five-star Cody Williams to the mix like this team could be good like and color like depending on if they get any more transfers like colorado is kind of high because like we kind of know what they like they they have a more complete roster so that's one reason why i have them ranked but yes they are they they're looking good at the moment and yeah usc uh isaiah collier is number one recruit in the country so that's pretty notable and I think they have a lot of breakout guys, like I mentioned in the article, uh, like Trey White, Benji Uchukwu, Kijani Wright, and even Kobe Johnson, who kind of broke out this year, but I think uh, still is in uh, running for a big year next year. Like It's interesting to hear you talk about Bronny, because Bronny's recru- recruiting uh, has been hard to follow. They've been pretty, yes. yeah, they've, they, they've they, been pretty tight yes. about that. <laughs> yes. But, but U- USC seems to be the school that will get him. So obviously, maybe it's a done deal, but it hasn't been announced. But yeah, um, that that would also be notable if they got him. Not sure if it would really did, uh, change the ranking, but for Bronny's, Bronny is actually pretty good. So that would be a notable pickup. Any other uh, thoughts you have about yeah. the top twenty-five? I'll throw in I'll throw in one more to get us back in the uh, SEC. So Kentucky, number twenty in your rankings, just behind Colorado. I understand the the, the logic for Kentucky uh, in that spot. I, what the, in your description for it? I get it. Yep, I definitely get it. Antonio Reeves, the decision on that front is gonna you know decide uh, where you want to slot them uh, over the course of the offseason. But Duke gets ranked number five. Uh they do have. The, the security of returnees though Tyrese Proctor and Mark Mitchell so I get I get like the, the difference between Duke and Kentucky but I just think Kentucky could like I I learned my lesson abandoning ship on Kentucky too soon this past season and I'm not saying that ranking them number twenty is abandoning ship in the off season but I just I'm wondering if you're you you think Kentucky is more likely to trend upward than downward or and and if so uh, up or down why why is that Well I really think there's a lot of range of outcomes for this Kentucky team uh, next year because. We really don't know what they're going to look like. I mean, like right now, it's basically like freshmen starting five. I mean, maybe you can throw in like uh, Chris Livingston, assuming he's back. Like uh, maybe a dude, the arrow gets some minutes. Maybe like Damian Collins, Lance Ware, those guys get some play this year. But a lot of like right now, it's just like freshmen, 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 freshmen. And their freshmen are very good. But as of recently, it seems like freshman teams have not been necessarily the blueprint to winning college basketball. So I think Kentucky has a very high ceiling. Like if if all these freshmen like hit and they get back, like 
Reeves say. Um, I, I don't think they're going to get back Oscar. I don't think it's completely out of the question, but I would definitely be heavily leaning towards him being gone next year. So I, I think, yeah, Kentucky just has such a wide range of outcomes due to being a super young team and kind of going back to the one-and-done Kentucky style. But, but, they, but they should land some transfers too. So that, yeah, that I, will, I sometimes, yeah, right. Sometimes I wonder if the – I don't want to say decreased efficiency of, but like the, 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 the loss of the shine on the whole one-and-done like strategy is partially because it's harder to win with young – with a bevy of young guys when you're facing teams in March who have players with extra eligibility from COVID and like older guys, graduate students. Like I, I don't know if that's, I don't know if numbers would back that up. I'd have to crunch that, but it's I'm I'm curious if like the more we get removed from the free eligibility year of the heart of the pandemic, like if it starts to get back to a situation where it is a little more viable or like reliable to lean on, you know, the one and done's at a Kentucky and a Duke. I mean, Duke to a lesser extent than now, basically, everybody to a lesser extent in Kentucky, but that's not criticism of Kentucky. It's just like that's just kind of how how the cycle goes there. So, um, I I do I do think that that actually a place like Kentucky and others can kind of come back around when we don't have a landscape that's filled with like guys who are transferring for a second and third time, like partially because there's extra eligibility out there. And I'm, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just saying that that's kind of just the way yeah. the the average. Like the, the average age of a player, I feel like, has to be a bit older, like just for this span of years because of the additional eligibility. So I, I, I that's just kind of wondering out loud a bit. Um, it, that probably has more to do with than just this upcoming season, but it's interesting to consider. Like, and it makes it especially difficult to plot Kentucky anywhere on the spectrum of top twenty-five. So I, I respect you for putting them at twenty because it's like, oh, well, it, it, it probably is a top twenty team by the time you actually want to tip off the season. But like, do do they go on, like this season? Does Kentucky go on a Duke style like? trajectory where by the end of the season they're looking like they some people could pick them to win the national championship game or is it or does it come together more quickly than that even so we'll we'll, yeah. we'll be due to find out yeah i mean i guess we'll just wait and see and also this high school class the buzz around it for like the past few years is is that it is pretty weak compared to a lot of the other high school classes like this uh the 24 draft class as a whole is uh pretty weak um so like even though even though kentucky like these recruits that they're getting are legit that's also something to keep in mind that there's not the top caliber of recruits to the same extent that they're normally or not that they're not that like these guys aren't super good but that's something to throw and another thing i thought i'd uh another team i'd want to mention is saint mary's who i seem to have them a lot higher than a lot of other way too early rankings i believe i have them at 15th and I think this is a pretty good spot for them personally um I they'll get Aiden Mahaney and Mitchell Saxon back um they do they do lose Logan Johnson Alex Dukas which do hurt but they also bring in a four-star uh point guard freshman Jordan Ross who I think will be good another thing about St. Mary's why I like them so much is because Randy Bent just like develops guys out of nowhere like some of these random like St. Mary's guys that average like two points out season are gonna randomly average like twelve. So that's another reason. I'm just buying into Randy Bennett and his ability to develop along along with like Mahaney. Mahaney is like borderline all American candidate next season. Like he was really good as a freshman. Yeah, and he Sa- was he Saxon was. was really yep. good last year. So
Yeah, he, uh, he was. He, he could easily be the best player in the West Coast Conference like this coming season if if it breaks right like for him. Uh, I mean, and if yeah. he just takes that, if he takes that next step as a sophomore, um, I do think that it, it is fifteen could be a little bit rich. Like it could be, but it's not like it's not outrageous either. Like it's for net for for a way too early. Like there's not. I, I mean, I'm not I mean, going to pull the fire for that. What's that? They were about fifteenth this season. Yeah, yeah, I, but and I mean, I I, I, I understand, say, but St. Mary's will won't won't be sneaking up on anybody in non-conference. Uh, I, that's of course when you're looking at like Gonzaga and St. Mary's to put a lot of stock in non-conference. Uh, but no, I mean, I think that I guess I could need to remove like the March outcome from it too and just focus on what's coming back. Uh, and yeah, I think it's like there's more clarity here. Like we talk about the oh, what, what's going to happen with all the freshmen, like five freshmen playing starter minutes at Kentucky. But like that, there isn't that mystery here, you know, with St. Mary's. So it's a completely different, in some ways, if we're applying that kind of logic of being so unsure about, you know, kiddos and freshmen, we should be a little bit more, maybe I should be swayed to be a bit higher on uh, on St. Mary's. I mean, I did, I, t- I, t- I talked about St. Mary's from time to time on the, on the program. So uh, it's, it's a good pick. It's a good pick for 15th. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to grill you on it. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of question marks about this roster, but the things that we know are Aiden Mahaney and Mitchell Saxon are both really good, and they're both coming back. So that's that's just really the bottom line. Randy Bennett will get other pieces to fill around him. Um, let's see. A- any other things that you wanted to hit on with the rankings? Um, any other notes? Uh, I mean, it did kind of make it, uh, to my ledger, seeing San Diego State national runner-up at 22 uh, in your rankings. I mean, I think that's probably a good sober way to address it, like rather than just kind of artificially having SDSU higher because it's the national runner-up. Yeah, I mean, yeah. They, they lose a lot, but they also get back enough to still be like good next year, which, I mean, really, if you're looking back at this from the season, they were probably like the 15th best team in the country this year. So, like, 22nd is like not really like like they not weren't the second they weren't the second best team in the country <laughs> this year to put it that way so i mean yeah tremel is uh he will be a fifth year but i believe he's coming back he was not honored on senior night so i took that as he is yeah. coming back um ladie should be back i think he'll be he'll be really good now that he'll have more to front court to himself but like losing Bradley, losing Mensa, among some other rotation guys like a rope and Seiko, that will definitely hurt. Um, Kashaw Johnson could come back. That w- that will be a big uh, decision. But yeah, yeah, I think San Diego State is still a good team. They're still gonna be in the kind of same place they were as last year. Maybe a little slightly worse, but I th- I think they'll still be good, and they should be able to get transfers too coming off the national championship run. Yeah, that, that, that's it for my biggest notes in terms of reading through this. Uh, I recommend it, hoopscoopmedia.com once again. And you, you won't be disappointed in seeing where Austin put his crate in Blue Jays because uh, yeah. I think it's a fair – I think it's, that's also pretty fair. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, m- maybe not at the moment now that Ryan Nemhard is no longer in the picture, but at the time, honestly, like there's so much stuff that could happen with the crate and roster this offseason, like – I'm kind of getting a sense that Kaluma may not be back, but for the purpose of the rankings, I had to include him in there. I'm also getting the implication that Shireman could be back, which for the purpose of the rankings, I did not include him in consideration. 
So yeah, it it'll it'll there's still a lot that could happen. Uh, Creighton definitely needs some transfers. They kind of cleared out some of their bench guys, so hopefully they actually get some solid depth because right, right. their their bench was uh not great this last season. <laughs> they they definitely need some more depth, and spots are open for them to do that. So like uh yeah, like no offense to like John Christophilus and some of those guys, uh, but they they opened up some spots. The one the one guy I'm kind of mad at losing is Ben Stolzberg, who was a freshman that didn't really play, but I kind of liked what I saw from him in high school and thought he could be like a good four year player, but he hardly played at all, and um, he was probably led on to pl- that he would play more than he did his freshman year, so you can't really blame him for leaving. I just kind of wish that was the one like bench warmer that we would have brought back. But moving on, that's enough about uh, our my way too early rankings. If you want to read more on them, as we mentioned, hoopscoopmedia.com. You'll find it right there on the front page. It's the re- most recent article that we published. I definitely re- recommend uh, reading it. And yes, I gave like a, a two to three sentence description on each team of kind of why they're there and a few, like a player or two I'm really highlighting uh, to potentially lead the team next season so yeah i mean it there's so many ways to do this out there but that was my take this year i did not really look at anyone else's like i feel like groupthink is a big thing and everyone's ranking starts to look the same um i mean obviously everyone like the public reception on uh all the teams are kind of the same but like like I I wasn't scrolling through like Jeff Goodman's list like oh, well I should uh, have this team here like I actually legitimately yes. made this now that was my goal of this just uh, free thinker yeah. yes good yeah yes I mean I guess we'll see if this actually turns out uh but yeah I mean obviously yeah and there there will be many updates made I'm not sure how I'm going to go about doing that but like if you're if you're a fan of any of these teams don't take this too much into consideration because the portal has not really happened yet. Like I, I'm I, I know you commented on Instagram, like there was one like Maryland fan that was just going off in the comments. Like it's seven months from the season and your team isn't even complete. Like it just does doesn't matter at all. Like <laughs> yeah. Hey, well, I'm not too far from College Park either. I was talking about Temple. I'm I'm kind of in between College Park and Temple, and it's an intense bunch. I'm not surprised that the Terps would be pretty animated, even for an, an offseason early thought 25. But yeah, it's don't take it as gospel, but take it as like whatever the next whatever the next rack down is for you. Take it as that because I know you put good work into it, AG. So it's uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's a it's a good read. Yes. All right. So now it's time to get into transfers, and this this is a fun part of the offseason. And it is fun for some of these teams as well because it is fun picking up transfers and getting better for next year. It is not fun for the programs losing transfers, but the transfer portal goes goes both ways. So pretty much every team will lose players to the portal and also get players in return from the portal. So we're going to touch on every high major commitment from the portal so far. There's not a ton, but there is a fair amount. Um so without further ado, let's get into this. We're starting with the ACC. Clemson got Jake Heidbreder from Air Force. Um, this seems like maybe a stretch. Going from Air Force to Clemson is really quite the uh, 
move, but he was a good player at Air Force. Um, yeah, do you have any thoughts about this one? I mean, he was all-conference in the Mountain West. He is a uh, pretty solid scorer. Not sure about how he fits into the ACC level, but also we don't have to focus on like everyone like super in depth like this. But just any quick thoughts about Hybrider? Um, just in general, I'm always kind of curious about uh guys who like end up transferring from a service academy. Like then you're kind of in a like more traditional. Like you, you might see a guy who even sees his basketball side uh flourish a bit more if he would. Obviously, it's hard to speculate like the variety of reasons for transferring to um or like over read into it, but. Good shooting percentage. Mm-hmm. Good, good shooter, good score. Yeah, I mean, it's... Good splits. I, th- I think we should take away, like, if you took away the name Air Force and put it in, like, a more middle-of-the-pack Mountain West team, like, you probably would say, yeah, yeah, like, that's... It, it's not so much of a reach, but because there's an association of, like, a Mountain West team that was, I like, picked last heading into the season, like, it's... I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, he may get dragged down by that association a bit more than he should, but, yeah, so Clemson... Clemson had a pretty good, pretty decent uh, campaign in the ACC, so... Definitely, this is one of those where you want to, you know, add, add 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 scoring where you can. It uh it can't hurt, especially you know it's a guard oriented game. So no, this is this is a fine. Yeah, and say, also and yeah, yeah, and also with the portal, like sometimes like you don't always want to get like the best player. I mean, like like some players like right away when like you see their commitments, like hey, wh- like what are they doing going to this school? But like, didn't you look into it? And, like, well, this team kind of sucked at shooting last year and this guy can shoot so even though he like my, like i'm not talking about Hydebreder uh in particular and i'm just uh giving hypothetical situation like oh maybe this guy can just come off the bench and make a few threes a game even though he wasn't particularly effective or this guy's like a good defender and even though he's not like a star like he can really add something to this team they didn't have so i think that's kind of important to look at uh with, with some of these gets like some some are just like bad takes, like and there's there's absolutely teams <laughs> that just like go out of their reach, but I think like role is really and like fit is really important when looking into these transfers. So, yes, uh, moving on within the ACC, Georgia Tech got a few guys in Kwesi Reeves and Ebenezer Dewuna. Um, not much to say about Dewuna. He's like. He was like a reserve big for NC State. He is right now the only big on Georgia Tech's roster and probably not a starting caliber ACC big. So they're 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 gonna want to get another big in the portal. But he is a serviceable backup, potentially serviceable starter if you like he he's not like someone you can really go to um in that sense. But Reeves Reeves is intriguing. Because he has talent, he has athleticism, but he was kind of bad at Florida. Like, he was inefficient. Like, he, the talent was there, I'd say. Just kind of um, not the most efficient player. But, like, this is a guy you want at, like, Georgia Tech because Georgia Tech is not that good of a basketball program. And first-year head coach, Damon Stoudemire, um, Hopefully, I, I he should be a pretty good developer, obviously, coming from a few seasons with Celtics. So I kind of I kind of like this uh, fit with Reeves because he he was bad at Florida, but he had he I think he has that potential in him. 
Any any thoughts on the Georgia yeah. Tech guys? I, I follow you on Tech. I echo that, and I would yeah, I would tack on to what you said. Like Tech, Tech has to just buy potential. Like in the portal, like yeah, it is a program that like it, I just think about like the the climate in that state with UGA like and Georgia is really humming and like football wise, and that helps your overall image. Like Georgia Tech, if it can make strides on the hardwood, that's gonna like close the gap entirely, obviously. But you. You, yeah, they, they, being in Atlanta, at some point, you you have to claim like make a make make some headline, make some literal headlines in the ATL because Georgia State's there. Like, there, it's not like it's a complete. Kennesaw is moving up to a pretty good uh, conference, Conference USA. I know that's not strictly in the ATL, but yeah, I, I think Tech Tech should take more should take more than they than they lose and get a lot of options when that's the case here. But I'm 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 more I'm more interested in this other to be honest this our next listing in the ACC with Louisville because Sky Clark we talked about him earlier in the way earlier in this series and it, now it might have been our first episode. <laughs> isn't it funny how it's come full circle? Sky Clark to Louisville. I think both sides really need each other here, Austin. Like Louisville needs to start over and so does Sky Clark. So yeah, but I'm not sure if Louisville is really the right place for him to start over with how much of a pro how much of a mess that program was last year and yeah. honestly how much of a mess guy clark was at illinois but i mean louisville needs to get some more guys but clark has potential um yeah like he's uh he's a high upside pick i kind of worry um about him and that he wasn't like that efficient and he wasn't really that good at illinois but he, he was a freshman, so yeah, this I'm I don't know what to think about this one, honestly. But I mean it's it's worth a swing if you're to Louisville. Anything's worth it at this point. Any any thoughts on Clark? Yeah, I mean I, I, I touched on it. Uh I think it like it, yeah, it's easy for us to crap on Louisville and be like, what a mess of a program. But I could be like I'm not saying Louisville being in shambles is a like by itself is a good thing for Clark, but there he I don't think he singularly is going singularly is going to be expected to resurrect the program. Like I I do think it's going to be like a little bit of a chance for him. Like Illinois is a bit actually like uh, there are actually a lot of expectations there. I know Louisville generally does have high expectations, but especially for high profile bigger name transfers. But I think it actually could be kind of help help helpful for Clark to be entering a situation where it's going to take, it's obviously going to take a village of incoming talent to turn that around. So I, I, it's, yeah, it could, could, could he have wound up in a spot where it was more of a winning culture at the moment? Sure. Sure. But I don't know that that necessarily is, is like what everybody has to absolutely find when like, you're not only decided to transfer, but you know, just, we talked about when, with that earlier episode, just the departure from the program, being away from the team during this, like, season like that's a special kind of case where it you know, has a lot of big overall issues riding on it um not just maybe possibly not just basketball so yeah i do i do think this actually can pan out for clark and for louisville yeah i mean louisville definitely needs a lot more from the portal but i think clark is a solid start i mean if you're just banking on his potential um moving on Paxton Wojcik, North Carolina. I I do not like this one, like at all. I th- I think this is one of those like, like I, I mean, it 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 depends what world you're using him using him as. But like this guy was like barely in the rotation at Loyola Chicago like two years ago, 
and now he's a take in North Carolina. Like that's that's like if he if he did not transfer and like stay loyal at, and like average like six or seven points a game this year, North Carolina would not even like be like interested like at all. So if they want to bring him off the bench to score like 10 points a game, which I think that was, or not, not 10 points a game, like 10 minutes a game, 10 to 15 minutes a game, I think you can take him for that. But right now, North Carolina's roster is kind of empty. They will get guys, but yeah, I, so, I, I right, don't okay. like this one. Yeah, I, I understand that. I understand that. But I think the chronology, like, if this, if the chronology of this were different, right? So if he, if he were in addition later in the portal season when there are, have already been higher volume guys, that have been added by Tar Heels. Like I just because you add somebody earlier on in the portal, like obviously it's a supply and demand economy, right? Like the that that's the, the transfer portal and recruiting in general kind of evens out to being that situation. So it does matter when you when you commit and when you wind up uh getting your name in there officially. But I think it's not as if UNC doesn't have like a realistic idea of what they what 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 role they envision. So that means there is a little bit more pressure to now though actually identify the higher volume choices you want to pick from. But no, I I get I get your I get your I get your qualms for sure. Yeah, I think Wojcik would have been better off going to like a mid plus, but as long as he doesn't have like a huge role, like he he kind of reminds me of Justin Pierce. do you remember him? I believe he was a William and Mary transfer. Yeah, I, I just I, like I, I remember the name. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, he he well, was speaking, on that like bad North Carolina team. Well, speaking but, of speak, yeah, speaking of the CA real quickly. I mean, Wojcik's originally from Charleston. Like, I'm kind of surprised Pat Kelsey didn't 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 wind up landing him yeah. in some ways. But I mean, I mean, I believe he does have ties to North Carolina as a program. I know his dad coached at Michigan State right now. I think he did coach in North Carolina in the past, so that's another reason why they took him. I just think it's definitely a stretch to take him at a high major, but like they do need guys that can play like 10 minutes a game, and if he's happy with playing 10 minutes a game, then you can sign him up. But if he's getting like 25 minutes a game, then that's just like a waste of picking him up because he was not he's not like an ACC caliber starter at all but moving on not not Hayden Bojic too much he's a hoop school media follower on Instagram and I actually think he's a pretty good player I just don't think there are some guys that are like good players at some levels and not great players at other levels yeah so we'll I see. mean yeah. we'll see we'll see if he takes up another gear like being met with the challenge of the ACC we'll see if he just turns it up another Another degree here. Yeah, cer- certainly not counting him out 100%. Like, there have been guys that I do not like to fit at all that end up being really good. So, but I'm not sure if Ojek will be. But moving on, uh, JJ Starling to Syracuse. This seemed like it happened forever ago. He was in and out of the portal um, in one day. And it, it was kind of always speculated that he would be going to Syracuse once he entered. And I think this is a good pickup. He was... Uh, he was at Notre Dame this year. He was a little inefficient, but he he was solid, and I think he could. He was a good pickup. Obviously, Dan, you attended Syracuse for a brief uh, period of time last year, and know more about the program. What are your thoughts on this pickup? At this moment, I am looking to, as you said, I I do know upstate New York 
somewhat well. And it, it, I am confirming, I thought this was the case. Baldwinsville, New York, which is the, I guess you'd call it the hometown of Starling. It's not too far out of say It's like, I would call it like a Syracuse suburb. Uh, so yeah, it, it definitely wasn't a complete uh, surprise to see uh, him move, with, with, move within the ACC here. Uh, I do think the time is right for him. Like that's time, I'm sure. I mean, he wouldn't do it if it weren't right for him personally at this time. But I think coming into Syracuse at this time is a good, a good idea. Just to have, like, I if it were another year of Jim Beheim, we already went through our Jim Beheim conversation. We were, I was kind of like leaning on in on him a little bit, and you were, you had your opinions too. But I'm not, not to criticize Beheim himself, but just consider that now the the page is turned on that, and you're not in the like purgatory, like quasi like phasing yes. Jim Beheim out and you're all the way into Adrian Autry. I I think that will kind of be a, a bit refreshing to Syracuse uh, and that Syracuse newcomers in particular, uh, knowing that you kind of have a head coach that this, and now obviously who's locked in with you for the next three or, you know, three years at a minimum. So yeah, I I think that this, the time is, is, is ripe. And as far as uh, Starling as a player, uh, Notre Dame of course didn't have its best season uh, in coach Bray's final year, uh, but just Starling was in double figure scoring. Um, pretty good field goal percentage, just over 42%. Uh, I'm curious to see if, depending on his minutes count, it's cues, he gets a little bit more up there in the assist category or he kind of takes on that kind of role. I'm not totally sure how it will fit in, quite honestly, to SU. Um, but obviously, it's that's why we're calling it too early. Everything's too early. The top 25 and these projections. But no, this this is a I, – I, as somebody who also has moved schools too and gotten closer to him, like that, I, I, I bet you he'll, he'll, he'll benefit – in basketball from also just being at a place that's really close to home. Certainly that uh, your presumption would be that'll, that'll, that'll sit well with them. Yeah. Um, if Judah Minch comes back, like this could be a pretty good young backcourt with Minch and Starling. And I think, I think Syracuse has a pretty bright future. Honestly, I think Starling, Starling was a little disappointing this year at Notre Dame, not like super disappointing, but I think some people were expecting him to be better than he was, but he was still like, ACC all freshman team, so definitely not like a complete disappointment. Not so. at all, and it's big to pull from within the conference like that. Like that changes the that shifts the power dynamic in the conference. Like it reestablishes that Cuse is ahead of the game and relative Notre Dame for now. But but Shrewsbury Shrewsbury will Shrewsbury is probably going to do his fair share of recruiting his own next uh, generations of ACC all freshmen. So it's it'll be give and take. But yeah, this is. Uh, I think it's really two birds with one scone for uh, for SU because you wind up with a good young player and your opponent has one your conference rival has one fewer of them so yeah all the way around. Yes, uh, Virginia Tech picked up a pair of solid transfers in Mikai Long and Tyler Nickel. Um, Long is a pretty solid defensive forward, pretty solid on both sides of the ball actually, but. Uh, kind of, yeah, it kind of brings value all around. Uh, more more of a defensive player, I'd say though. And Nickel is just like kind of all upside from North Carolina. Didn't really play um that much as a freshman. I believe he was supposed to be like a pretty good shooter. Did not really shoot the ball great, but like hypothetically with more minutes, that's what you're gonna get out of him. So yeah, I don't have a problem with either of the, either of these pickups. I think. They're both pretty solid. Uh, thoughts on Long and Nickel? Yeah, I, I won't add too much because I don't want to just circle back to you. I, I follow you on those, but I just throw in one jab that it, what a shame that James Madison couldn't land Nickel. He's a Harrisonburg, Virginia native, and 
Jamie, you missed it. Jamie, you missed out on nickel. I, I think did I? I think they did reach out. You know, you kind of have to, right? I, oh, I think they probably. did. I think it was reported that they did, but uh, yeah, I mean, nickel. It wasn't. It was. It wasn't. It was largely lack of minutes there. So I like it doesn't. It's not a surprise to me that another ACC program would give another shot. You know, to him. Yeah, if nickel bombs out again at Virginia Tech, though, he could definitely be going back, James Madison. But I think <laughs> his his stock was. He still had high major stock. Yeah, but it, that is kind of funny to think about is like, what are the odds that eventually, like, <laughs> if it doesn't work out with the Hokies, like maybe he could go there. Um, it, it, yeah, that, that uh, we'll keep that in our back pocket. But no, in all seriousness, uh, yeah, the shooting, you talk about a shooting upside. So more, I think, I mean, I know of a couple of Virginia Tech transfers who I've seen have done pretty well. Justin Mutz did well for himself, not even coming from an ACC school, not the same position, not the same style of profile player. But uh, no, Virginia Tech, it's not just a strong women's basketball program, I think. Men's basketball, Virginia Tech can uh, can click too. Yeah, um, yeah, not not too much to say about those changers. Both solid pickups. Uh, Kevin Miller to Wake Forest. Um, honestly, uh, he he's he's a solid point guard. Uh, coming from Central Michigan, there's a little bit of skepticism, pessimism that he's not going to be amazing. But at this point, Steve Forbes is like the transfer whisperer, so. I'm just like all on Steve Forbes getting like all right transfers to be amazing. So honestly, that's when I'm kind of just putting his stock in because of Forbes. Um, yeah, Miller is a solid point guard, um, has had some turnover issues, but he he's a good passer, can score the ball decent. Um, I guess we'll just see if that translates to the ACC. But yeah, I'm, I'm just all on Forbes with this one. What are your thoughts about? Yeah, yeah. This, this, this is probably like my top, like underrated one in the ACC, because Wake had a, Wake had a good portal season last off season, and Kevin Miller, like I like the I like the way the central the Central Michigan numbers look, like eighteen and a half points a game, that field goal percentage is over fifty percent despite being a bit under forty percent. He, he did three. he did play four games this year, so those yeah, numbers. It yeah, but still in those four games, like I. It, it's a small sample size. That small sample size. I know we talked about small sample size of Nichols, but like all I have to go on is what he played in. And uh, I, yeah, it's it's a quick it's a quick leap to be playing in four games for a max school and then <laughs> go to week. But like, like again, it's a trust in the head coaching, like staff from the top Forbes on down. It's a situation where I'm going to trust that the same folks who developed Andrew Carr into a C an ACC Player of the Week can mold. Uh, this gentleman at the guard spot. Yes. And yeah, even though Miller played four games this year, two of them were against high major competition in Minnesota and Marquette. Minnesota kind of sucked, but uh, Marquette, he had nine turnovers against Marquette, which is not great. But again, well, Marquette like, was also able to really key in on key on him too. Like as long as he's on the floor, they, they, they knew this guy report. Like I, I'm not totally excusing it. Like nine turnovers is ridiculous. Yeah, it's kind of ridiculous. Was, but yeah. But no, and Minnesota's a Big Ten opponent. Like I, I'm gonna. That's my. There's a. There's a way to spin it. The other way to spin it is, yeah, Minnesota was god awful, and you have to like. We should maybe be evaluating these players on how they show up against the top competition, right? So like, if you're flaming out like that with that nearly double digit turnovers against the best opponent you faced in the games you played, maybe we should have a more critical eye. Maybe I should have a more critical eye to that and say, well, shoot, can can Wake really trust him to handle the ball against? You you fill in the blank number of, of, of defenses. Yeah. Um yeah. 
Let's let me check out uh Tyree. I guess Tyree Appleby still kind of turned the ball over a lot this year, but he he was still like super good for Wake Forest. I mean, his assist numbers went way up. So yeah, I mean, I th- like I just uh, brought him up because I know he was kind of an out of control point guard that Forbes was able to get and kind of turn around there this season but yeah yeah, it's kind of I, I think this is kind of equivalent to taking like it's almost as if you, you're recruiting a high school prospect who had like a prep year like i just it's so few college starts still right like i i almost think wake forest would view this as like analogous to to a high school recruit coming in like i'm not saying that like not completely invalidating because i was just hyping up the four games he got to play but like i do think oh, he, wake he played probably, all last year yeah i mean he was he was solid but yeah, I mean, I think he was like a solid um like high school recruit and like you get him with like two year he'll have three years left, assuming he got a medical retro for this year. So yeah, I mean I like to pick up and moving on to the big east, not not a ton of transfers going into the big east, but a few schools with multiple pickups. Um the first one, Creighton uh got Isaac Trout and I Really like the potential of this one because Trout redshirted this year at Virginia, so no, no stats to go off, um, college wise. But like, I think I think this is great because you're getting someone with four years left, so he's basically a high school recruit essentially, and he spent a year under Tony Bennett. So like, that's like under one of the best minds in college basketball, practicing with every day. And he has four years of eligibility left, and he's an in-state kid too. Uh, so I, I really like this pickup. He's can shoot the ball, he can score the ball. I guess it it remains to be seen if he's like an immediate impact player. But he was good in high school. Creighton really won him. They barely missed out on him, but they get him with four years of eligibility left. So can't really be mad about that. Yeah, exactly. No, I this is even better. Like Isaac here is even more so that high school recruit comparison than Miller. I, I Yeah, Miller is a touch older than that. I, I still think actually it is a like, you can stretch it to say Miller is in that ballpark, but no, Trout obviously even younger. And with, you you touched on when we talked about the way too early top 25, Creighton has a, had a, had a you know, a, a top 15 level season this past season. And if you're going to put him in the top five in preseason, there are, there are questions, but this this is kind of an answer. Like this is on the flip side, here's an answer. So no, I, I, I'm with you every step of the way on him. Yeah, he he's a guy I'm definitely buying into, especially long term. But I I think he can be a very impact piece this season and beyond. Um, DePaul got a few guys and Jeremiah Odin from Wyoming and Jaden Henley from Minnesota, and I think these are fine pickups. Like you you can take these guys, but DePaul needs to get some better guys because. If they want to compete in the Big East, like now the only like bad school is them because Georgetown's going to be good. So, well, it's a question of how quickly, but probably sooner than we sooner than later with uh, cool Georgetown league. will get guys right. off season, even yeah. though they have like no one right now. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, they, 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 will... yeah, they have no one right now. He did, he just like said, yeah, but yeah, no, I mean, yeah. the Big East is going to be, it's going to be a, it's going to be a bear and. Yeah, except for DePaul because they haven't got like anyone good out of the portal. I mean, I mean these guys are good, but like 
I mean, and part of it is probably DePaul doesn't have like huge NIL numbers. I was just thinking that. Yeah. Yeah. Compared to some other power schools, but yeah, I mean, I I don't hate any of these pickups. I think they're solid rotation players, but you're going to need like a star player sometime. Like they had last year with Emoji Gibson and neither of these players fit that mold. So, um, Providence already got three guys, and there were three guys from George Mason <laughs> yep. uh, following Kim English and uh, Josh Oduro, Justin Fernandez, and Devontae Ticket Gaines. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, those were like the best George Mason players, and they followed English, so not really a ton to talk about here. Yeah, yeah. so there are two sides of that coin, though, right, Austin, like, so there's obviously familiarity with Coach English, what he's expecting in practice and everywhere else, and then in the system. But then now these are all A10 players, like who are going to be going with going with Big East competition night night in and night out. So I'm 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 interested to see how that how that goes. But like at least there's a continuity there, right? Like at least there's yeah yeah. To to be fair, um, Fernandez was like a really high recruit, and like like Providence was like one of the schools that he was. Uh, like they were, that was in contention. I think he was like borderline top 100, maybe. So e- even though his freshman season was not not necessarily the best, I think he still has a lot of upside. And like Providence fans would have took him regardless of if English yeah. would have been a coach or not. <laughs> um, Gaines Gaines is like all right, but he was a high major guy. Like he started out at Tennessee, so like, yeah, he he was a little bit better last year than he was this year. But I mean, I mean, you take him. You probably don't want him starting, but if he can come off the bench, which which he will come off the bench because Carter and Hopkins are both mm-hmm. back. And Oduro is like an all A ten guy, so he should be good. The one thing that I don't really understand is that Providence is like going hard after Graham EK. Have you been have you uh seen that? Yeah, I follow a, a good number of Rhode Island people and yeah, it's been it's been it's been topical. Yes. But like I, I just don't understand. Like, okay, like EK EK is amazing. Like he's one of the best players in the portal. Like I, I, I love him as a player. But why did you get Oduro if you're gonna get EK? Because those those two probably I mean, maybe they can play in the court together, but they're not like that wouldn't be like the most efficient way because Oduro's a five and he's an all A ten player. Like you want him to be in the court a lot. EK is a five as well, and he's like uh, an all Mountain West player, uh, when he's healthy at least, which I mean, he he didn't play at all this past year, but he he's really good. He I have no doubt he's going to be fully healthy. And then if you if you play those two together, you have to play Hawkins at the three, which I think he's more of a four. I don't know if he could, would have trouble guarding some like more traditional wing threes. So yeah, I just I just don't know. I I mean. If you can get EK, you take him. But like, I think they should be focusing more on some guards. Uh, I know they did get Jaden Pierre out of the portal, back to Providence. So, yeah. But I think this team is in a pretty good position right now. I just don't know if I trust English. But like the roster as it looks is pretty solid. Yeah. And any thoughts on these additions? Yeah, well, you make good points about the backgrounds of a couple of these guys beyond just the like most recent A10 label. Uh, I but and this isn't about the players in particular, but it's just in the, in the Providence discussion, like talking about Friars basketball, like 
I am interested to see like how English and the transfers he brings in perform under the like I don't call it like pressure that's connected to the era at like that follows Cooley's departure, but like it's a it was a proudest fan base that was pretty riled up by the fact like just felt like they got smacked in the face losing a coach to Georgetown and they maybe thought they would like Georgetown have fallen so far back that we wouldn't, you know, wouldn't be dealing with that. So Providence those Providence fans are gonna be hungry to kind of like not to be able to lay claim to not falling off, you know, all those kind of things, staying uh on the on the upswing. Uh but it's gonna be it's gonna be asking a lot of these players. But I I, I like especially Adora, like that is kind of cool. Like e e has that all A10 labels. Like, I'm it's kind of cool. Like, I, I kind of wondered honestly at times, like, oh, how would he fare in the Big East? And now we're gonna, yeah, now we're gonna he, stay. He'll be, so. he'll be fine in the Big East. Yeah. 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 Um, the Big Ten. So, the first Big Ten commitments known on is Peyton Sparks, Indiana. I think this is, he's a solid, um, maybe backup center. Um, he's pretty good. I know Indiana has been in the running for Clell Ware, the Oregon former five-star transfer. So if they got him, then Sparks would uh, be the backup, which which would be ideal. Um, Indiana also has Malik Renew, who is more of a four and a five that I really like for a sophomore season. But yeah, moving back to Sparks, like the Big Ten might be a little high for him in like terms of like physicality. Like he was able to kind of have his way in the MAC. But I th- I think this is still like a solid pickup. Like you you take him to like play like fifteen twenty minutes a game. Like he he is he's good. You have any thoughts on him? Yeah yeah. I think I think it's a natural progression for him coming from Ball State, beaten from uh, Indiana in the first place. You you gave the you know statistical and X to the nose perspective, and I follow that, and I think that yeah you don't you don't nec- you don't have to ask him to transform his game like right away but you'll i think indiana the way the number of games they won last season there's momentum there he'll 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 contribute to that and he'll he'll grow individually before again ready to just kind of uh, accept a larger role later in his later his time with the hoosers yeah uh chance stevens committed to maryland which is a little bit of an interesting pickup considering he averaged like six points as a freshman on loyola marymount but this is one to ones where you just kind of look into fit and stuff and really, like he he can shoot the ball. I think. Let me look back at his game, uh, game by game box score. But I think there was like a few games where he just like went crazy. Um. Yeah, he had twenty three points on seven of ten from three against Wake Forest, and. Yeah, you're just you're just kind of betting you get that. He he fell off a little bit down in the stretch of the season. But yeah, he, he can shoot the ball and if Maryland can bring him off the bench and he hits like a few threes a game and that's all he does, that's fine. He was also previously committed to Rhode Island, David Cox. David Cox is an assistant at Maryland now. So like I really don't hate his pickup. It's all about role and obviously like Stevens knows what he'll be doing. Um, so yeah, like if I I don't think it's a a bad pickup. It, it was a little head scratching at first, but then once you kind of look into it more, I I think it's fine. Thoughts on uh yeah yeah for sure. So here's Stevens as of now and now taking that final scholarship that's available for Maryland. Of course, you could see 
uh, returning scholarship player, maybe actually end up not returning. There's time for that. Um, but so, you know, there's a chance that Kevin Willard still has that flexibility. But yeah, it, the the scouting report is off the bench three point shooter. So at, at, at a floor, you're getting that and you can you can you can work on getting more. Right. So it's like this is there's so many different. The transfer portal has such a huge variety of players and player types and like archetypes, whatever you want to call it, that like not you don't, not every not every edition has to be a home run right so that like this is this is this is going to be this is going to be good for maryland i think to uh get a player who has like connection to a you know, high level assistant on the staff and cox yeah definitely like cox knew what he liked in him before he showed you know what he can do in the college game at loyola marymount so it, it adds up in that department as well yeah yeah i wonder if some of mayor well what how what do you have for Maryland as on scholarship? Because you well, mentioned it. Part part of it part of it is you um well I part of it is you yeah, I guess we should also factor in whether Dante Scott's gonna do a yes. fifth year. That's that's kind of up in air. It looks like verbal commit has are now Dravaz listed on scholarship, and I don't think he actually is a scholarship player. All right, so that so that would right. So that, that actually so anyway, we need to clar- clarify that. But regardless, they're getting <laughs> close to that number with Stevens, even if they're not, they haven't hit it yet. That was the point. Yeah, I mean, Maryland should probably send Pavlo Zubia packing. <laughs> If they want to save, it's funny you say that. Like honestly, like the way it is now with the number of times guy, like it's those those are tough conversations. Like we we, we joke about that, but it's almost like yeah. might, that might happen more than we realize, which is kind of crazy to think about. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, but Maryland does look pretty good. Um, I know they're kind of in Hunter Dickinson conversation, but they have Julian Reese, who I really like. So I'm not sure if. They really that Dickinson's gonna work out, but yeah, um, it yeah Scott coming back versus not will be a uh, big <clears throat> topic to keep an eye on. But yeah, going going back to the actual transfers, Michigan, we have a lot to talk about about Michigan transfers because they got Caleb Love, who was. Arguably the biggest just name alone to enter the portal. Obviously not the best player in the portal, but like based on recognition and that stuff, he was up there. They also got Namari Burnett, who uh, was at Alabama, and Trey Jackson, who was at Seton Hall. So this is an interesting move for Love because, and personally, I, I do not like this move for Love because like he he's he's a talented player, sure, but like I think the reason he was like everyone hated him in North Carolina because he was so inefficient is because like he didn't really have too much control like and un- I don't see how that's really going to change like Michigan is kind of like their roster outlook is kind of up in the air right now and I don't have the sense that Juwan Howard is going to be like any better at coaching him than Hubert Davis was so he's going he's going to get his shots but I don't know if I love the fit um this one will be interesting to see because i still think like caleb love has potential to be a very good player it's just kind of up in the air on whether that potential gets unlocked but then i i I like burnett i like burnett um jackson jackson's just like whatever 
like okay okay like he just like you can get him like i don't have too many thoughts on that one but i actually do like burden i don't know if people have sit out or not because she sat out two years ago at alabama but uh, and anyway what are your thoughts on these three additions yeah, you know, love is probably the biggest question of the three and the biggest. Yes, obviously. Like, obviously, it jumps out for me. Uh, it like, okay, so <laughs> taking a step back, like voluntarily leaving UNC is like a, a like, I, it, there aren't too many guys who like are the profile of a player like love. Like, I'm not saying he was always like the best player. Like, we already went over that, but like, uh, he's a high profile guy to leave UNC like that. That's not gonna happen that often. So like like realistically, I was trying to rack my head of like what, like where where could you go that like doesn't feel like a like ex- not an extreme step back, but just like it it was just hard to pick, hard to fathom. And then Michigan should have gone to Missouri. Should have gone should have gone to Missouri because that like, that's where that's where yeah. like the other school would play. He almost went there out of high school, and I think Dennis coach Dennis, Dennis Gates is a much better coach than yeah, Juwan well, Howard. Yeah, well I yeah I I, I agree with you on that. but. I, so that so you're actually leading me to my point, which is like how much of this was like like just like the brand, like the Michigan brand is like I, I'm obviously... sure Michigan probably has more nil money than Missouri, <laughs> probably uh, at least yeah at least overall across yeah men's men's basketball and football probably more. Well, to offer to love, yeah, yeah, yeah. I but even beyond, I wasn't even just referring to nil, but like the cachet and prestige of Michigan, like compared to Mizzou. Like Mizzou, great journalism school, and on the he's rise. Fr- he's from Missouri, though. I get that he's from Missouri, but still, like, I, I, I just the what? How would it look if he? I, I don't know. like leaving UNC from Mizzou. Like, I don't know. It's easier to leave UNC from Michigan than it is to it, like just on paper, like looking at it. Like, I just, I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying that's right. I'm just saying that how much does that factor in? Just like how it comes across. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I get what you're saying. It's like kind of like the same level of like athletic program and like how highly both are regarded but i think for the betterment of his career he should have gotten missouri yeah no i think you can make a compelling case i'm just saying both can be true at once that like he he, he may have been drawn to the direction of of michigan for any number of and Juwan howard's a high like one high profile coach or another not now to be it's a step back and like in the level like we don't we don't we don't we don't trust john howard the same way we trust uh Davis or Broadway, obviously, needless to say, the, his predecessor. Oh, I don't think Davis is a good coach either. Made, made at least he has at least he has a uh, a tournament. He hasn't smacked a guy <laughs> that we know of. <laughs> he has not done that. <laughs> but we're I, we're going off the rails. But like I, I'm taking us off the rails. But I the the I'm just curious, like in the like what like really I, I'm not talking about nil Mike, but that certainly can. I mean that that is a big factor in a lot of these guys' decisions, hundred percent. Sure. But I just think like also deep down, like at a at a human level, like I just think that like love personally would like maybe again this is like all speculative, don't know anything about it, but just like when you consider it, like okay, the premise is you're leaving North Carolina, okay, for for where for going home, like going home to Michigan, like I get going home to Mizzou would be like a cool like that could be kind of kind of kind of look cool in a certain way, but it. it it probably just looks it looks quote better for him if he winds up at a like another you know big jump man brand like i i'm not shocked that he wound up making a choice that we think could have been not as strong for his basketball like actual basketball individual career because of these overarching factors so 
I don't know. I'm not putting that. I'm probably not putting that way to make sense, but you get the idea of what the gist is. It's it's interesting. I'm not. Yeah, I mean, like brand name and recognition either. Like he can be good there. He certainly. No, I mean, like he he could be good. I think he would just be set up for more success at Missouri under Dennis Gates. But I mean, I guess that'll just play itself out. Um, and any thoughts on Burnett or Jackson? Yeah, I, I should I should be discussing them more because they're like I, just I, I mean are, love is a big headline. So yeah, love was a that was a big one. That was the one I spent my most time like contemplating. Hmm, like why not? Why wasn't it Missouri? And like, well, okay, realistically, like hard to pick Missouri over Michigan. Like even this goes to show you like it's all about the brand. The, like, the thing is, like again, I think I I think like the yeah. feel was that he was going to go to Missouri. Like I I like that was kind of the the rumors, and then he's he committed to Michigan. So. And anyway, back to uh the other two commits. Yeah, they make they make they make more safe. Like I, I honestly think, like you said, they're, or I don't know if you said it, but you were kind of getting at them being a bit safer. Like I do, I do think that's like that's the case. So maybe they can help. Maybe they can help make it more likely that love kind of just gels in and like it's a transfer class. Like it's I feel like we have recruiting classes, and then we also have transfer classes. You know, like multiple transfers at most programs each offseason, right? It's like yeah, I think. I think um, I definitely should not have. I shouldn't have left them as footnotes to this, but I really was centered on. I think it's inevitable that love is like the, is the biggest, yeah, yeah, yeah. The biggest grab. Yeah, I mean, he'll be the face of the program next year. And thus, Hunter Dickens somehow comes back, which I don't know if that's out of the question yet. But that's that's a different topic. Um, all right. Do we want to move on to Mike Mitchell Jr. from Minnesota, who I actually, I actually really like Mitchell – as a player, um, yeah, he he can really shoot the ball. He can really pass the ball. Um, definitely has some upside. Upside. Um, yeah. So I really don't hate his pickup. I know Ben Johnson has made his fair share of questionable transfer pickups over the years, but this this is one that I'm fine with. Um, maybe you shoot one shield a little bit higher, but I, I really I really do like Mitchell and I think this this is a solid pickup for Minnesota. Yeah, I think when you think about where Minnesota is uh, at the moment, this this makes a lot of sense. And like just kind of looking at freshman year to sophomore year for Mitchell, really like there were there were improvements across the board. Free throw shooting across uh, the 70% threshold, which is good. Uh three point shooting went from good at 40% to even better at 44%. So yeah, really across the line, nothing to sneeze at here. And I'm, I'm interested in the fact, you know, Mitchell's a California native. So he heads out for Pepperdine and heads out to Minnesota. So heck of a, heck of a lifestyle change for him. But uh, certainly the way he's been, he's been good as, as a college basketball player. So it's like, this is the, like the, I think like the classic kind of today's transfer. Like, I don't know that he was necessarily unhappy at, Pepperdine, like not plenty of transfers who aren't actually that unhappy with their current institutions, but it's like this, this the player is now in the middle of his college career who's shown a, a certain level of ability and is uh maybe taking that next step. So Minnesota kind of not to the same extent as Louisville, but like <laughs> there there are minutes to be had, right? So like I, I'm excited to see how that uh how that how that how that evolves. Yeah, yeah. Malibu to Minnesota is quite the uh move. He's the weather will not be as great, but he'll he'll be playing better competition and um 
probably have some uh better draft stock there. Um, or I mean, he he's kind of like a uh, prospect potentially. Um, moving forward, um, we have a Big Ten interconference transfer to talk about as Jamison Battle to Ohio State, who was previously in Minnesota. And I, I, re- I really don't think Battle... I don't think he's that bad. I just think he's too much... He, he's just... He, he's not a winning player. That That's what I think about Battle. He's never played on good teams in his career. I think he's doesn't really impact winning. He's a, like, kind of a chucker almost. Yeah, I'm I'm just not a huge fan. He he was actually pretty good two years ago. Had a rough year this year, so yeah. Yeah, what we do, saw you, so yeah, so for battle, we saw rebounds per game decrease uh in this repet this past completed season. Uh in just I mean his minutes were down slightly, but not so much so that you can completely chalk it up to that. Um I I guess Ohio State, like They've scattered him long enough, like in you know uh, opponent situations where they feel like they can, not. I mean, it's not a situation. You don't have to. Re- there's no like rehabilitation of his career going on here. Like winning player, like I feel like winning player criticism. Like while I understand exactly where you're coming from, is a little more valid in the NBA where it's like it's a little more blatantly obvious. Like who's like over the course of a long NBA career, or at least like a moderately long NBA career, who's who can really single handedly affect winning and who's or who's like not dead weight, but dragging back teams that sometimes despite individual success, like in college, I just think it's hard to figure out like who's, who's a quote winning player and who isn't. Uh, But it is interesting to me. Like, again, I I like looking at the transfers where they're originally from in this case, battle leaving home a bit, Minnesota native now off to Ohio state, probably I'll, I'll, I want to give him some benefit of the doubt in the sense that maybe he'll even have just like that higher standard demanded, right? Like Ohio state just has like, higher expectations of the program overall. There's going to be a greater pressure for uh, team success here. So, um, yeah, I, I think that sticking in the Big Ten can be good too. I mean, he's not going to – He's not. it's not like he's going to face a conference schedule that he isn't used to, and he already is averaging double figures against that schedule. So he'll. I think he'll more than manage, but I see where you're – I see exactly what you're saying in terms of the, the, the complaints. Yeah, I mean, there definitely are some criticisms to be had about Battle, but he he's a fairly gifted scorer, I'd say. And if Ohio State can just get efficiency up, then he should be fine. I just it just don't know if that'll actually happen. Well, I mean, it's been there though, like it's been done before, like forty-seven and a half percent in twenty twenty twenty-one. The the yeah. uh, the 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 COVID fall and into the spring there. I mean, like it's 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 been done before, so I. You could kind of maybe recapture that, your OSU. Yeah, I mean he he was pretty solid that that year. Um, I yeah, I also just have some questions about how much, like his stats really, bring like a winning impact. But yeah, I mean I guess that'll be seen because he probably won't. He'll probably be more of like a secondary option instead of like the main option to get it to at Ohio State. So that that we'll just see how that plays out. But m- moving forward, uh, Lance Jones he committed to Purdue today, and I I don't love this one. Although I do love the the defense that he will bring to Purdue, which has been his main forte over the past few years at Southern Illinois. 
he's not a great offensive player, but he can really bring some solid defense, which is something Purdue has been lacking a little in their backcourt. So that's what I like him for. He He's a capable shooter, but his shooting percentage from three have gone down over the years, which is not ideal to see. But do you have any thoughts about Jones? Yeah, you stole my thunder. I was going to mention, like, well, this doesn't really solve Purdue's, like, single. Well, it's hard to have one player solve all your problems in portal. Like, let's let's be real. But obvious disclaimers aside, uh, this doesn't really solve Purdue's matters of, hey, like, even if you get the big maple easy back, like, you're this guy, like, you need shot makers who are like, you need guys who are going to not be afraid to shoot in against Fairleigh Dickinson in the, like, like, okay. So that, that's a glaring need. But defense, like, you also need guys who are going to, bring defensive intensity and not be like afraid of the of showing scrappy defense and fairly Dickens and played. And Lance Jones is, yeah, again, predicated on defense. He's averaged over a steal a game in what, in what is it now? The last, the last three seasons. So that, yeah. 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 He's, de- he's definitely a good uh, on ball defender in that respect. His, yeah, his offensive rating is just not very appealing. Yeah. To me. The, the three point percentage decline is that that's, that's that's unusual to see. That's unusual to see for a guy who's pretty pretty good on the other end too. But um, I don't know how, if you like in one. I don't know if in one transfer swing that 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 three point trend can be redirected, but it could be a change of scenery. Like at some point, like three point shooting, when you're seeing it slide, like maybe just change of voice that you hear in terms of coaching, change of scenery. That I mean, that, I don't know if it can hurt at that point. The way it's the way the three point percentage. I mean, he already. he took seven point six threes per game this year at Southern Illinois. He is not going to be doing that at Purdue. So maybe if he uh, is more of like a spot up, taking better shots, that percentage will go back up. Um. Yeah, another uh, Big Ten transfer the last to touch on is Noah Reynolds, who is a Wyoming transfer that committed at Wisconsin. Another one that I'm not overly high on. I think he's kind of a defensive liability. He's a little undersized scoring guard, but he can definitely bring some offensive pop. I just uh, I have those concerns about him. Uh, a little bit of the opposite of Jones, honestly. Um, yeah, it's fun. It's funny how they actually kind of mix and match, complement each other a bit with the way we're describing them here. Uh, so you look at Reynolds' freshman to sophomore years at Wyoming, saw the minutes more than double, so he took on the increased workload. But with that, you saw the field goal percentage jump a sizable amount. It was thirty-seven percent as a freshman. You get up to way closer to fifty percent. Um, so I like, I you know. In like in just in that blanket sense, he was efficient. Free throw percentage wasn't good. Um, I mean, it there have been worse, but yeah, sixty six percent. Yeah, so I think like and again, maybe he'll maybe he'll see that even out too. And um, I, I don't, I'm not, I don't feel as strongly about it as you do. I just think it's a little bit more of like a, it's it's not a it's not a flyer. Like it's not it's not as if this player hasn't shown in a pretty good conference in Mountain West what. Well, what he can do, some flashes, a couple of rebounds, a couple of assists per game this past season. I, I don't know exactly how he'll fit into um, Wisco just yet. It's not one that I have a firm take on yet. I'm just kind of trying to get an idea of where yeah. it actually is going to turn out. Like, I do think I'm kind of wondering what Wisconsin looks like closer to the season before I can kind of get an idea of how much they're going to want to do. But I, I, I do kind of like this pickup 
for a different reason is because he can really like Wisconsin was kind of lacking some offensive pop and he is a volume scorer, which does not hurt Wisconsin because they, they had some real troubles at offense on time at times. And the thing that he was pretty bad in this year is defense. And that's what Wisconsin is generally pretty good at. And I think sometimes uh, defense kind of matters to like the system you're in I think if they can, Wisconsin. I think I think defense. You can coach a lot. Like I think that. Oh is, yeah, uh, it's an attitude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. So I think if he can like be a serviceable defender, then he can be fine. Maybe a little bit, a little bit of a stretch with his pickup, but I don't like hate it. I just think there are some reasons to be a little concerned. But I also think there are reasons why you could really like this pickup if you're a Wisconsin fan. So we have a few more conferences to hit on, but we will do that another day because this episode is dragging on a little. And so we will uh, bypass the last few conferences. We will talk about them. Let's see. What do you think? Like maybe like a midweek podcast just hitting on these all the rest of these transfers. Yeah. Yeah, we'll 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 look to we'll look to work it in here for sure. We have a lot of a lot of good names to discuss. I know we're also going to look to do another kind of specialty episode on the uh, get gets deeper into coaching carousel and things like that. So yeah, we'll we will uh, work those combinations out here uh, off the air uh, before too long. Yes, but yes, if you're a um. Big 12, Pac-12, SEC, or mid-major fan, we, we will get to those conferences. Just not in this episode. It is getting relatively late over here, and we, do, we don't want to keep you listening for like five hours, so we can, <laughs> as as, we can, as as we as can as break it up a little. Would love that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but moving on to the last section, um, we're going to talk about a little bit of, about NIL and this stuff. So I, I know you went to the... Um, didn't you go to that thing in Washington D.C.? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. What, I, I guess it's tell us about that. Yeah, well, so it was the uh, House of Representatives, the the federal House of Representatives was discussing uh, NIL as it relates to the college athletics landscape. Of course, now this is a specifically a House subcommittee that's designated to explore whether federal legislation is necessary for the matter of name, image, and likeness and what it's all about. So the, the idea of the hearing, it, it's kind of a fact-finding event by the members, these these House members in the subcommittee that is work, looking at NIL. So they called witnesses to this hearing who hold a variety of roles in college athletics. There was one current student athlete who is a softball player at Florida State. Uh, there was the, the commissioner of the Patriot League. There was Washington State AD Pat Chun. There was the I want to say the executive director is the title of, or an executive from the um, College Football Players Association. And there was a D2 HBCU president, I believe Virginia State. Virginia State is a D2. Um, And I I apologize if I miss, I don't have, I should have pulled the witness list up in front of me, but I believe Virginia State um, was the representation there. So I just say that to say that um, there was a variety of, in the witness panel, but I do think that it would have been a little more productive for Congress to hear some other perspectives, including those of maybe a current P5 football or men's basketball or even high-earning women's basketball player who is likely to have been approached by this bagman NIL market. Like, you're, we're talking about tampering as we get into this discussion. Like, 
if Congress really wants to get in the nuts and weeds of like what makes NIL in need of possible federal legislation, it's because the NCAA has the Pandora's box open to a lot of only loosely enforceable existing NIL national policies, given that there are a variety of state laws, like they talk about the patchwork of state laws that exist right now. And it's a bit of a chaotic, so the chaotic is kind of a word that gets thrown around a little bit. I think like the witnesses kind of push the idea that, yeah, we're in a bit of a chaotic state because there are various state laws in place or no state laws in place in some places for it. And you now obviously the schools across the country are now feel like they may not have a level NIL playing field because you don't have a national federal law that says, okay, this is what's going to be not permitted whatsoever. And this is, this is going to be the enforcement for it. So I bring up enforcement as well, because you didn't get a lot of discussion specifically about how possibly NIL abuse and tampering violations would go about being enforced. The NCAA as an enforcement body is notorious for being late and, you know, behind schedule and punishing people who, who are like well beyond, well after chronologically the violations had been committed. So yeah, like the um, Oklahoma state, like, yeah, like <clears throat> Mike Boynton didn't do anything. Like yeah. why did, yeah. 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 So NCA enforcement is just, has been a mess, right? It's like, does do the feds have to enforce and, enforce these possible new rules and if they were to like I, that's hard to admit, envision that because they have so many other actual other existing you know bigger fish to fry so it's i think my biggest takeaway is to put more concisely where i appreciate the fact that the witnesses i i'm 90 percent sure most of them were speaking in front of congress for the first time i salute them for that it was my first time being at congress so that was cool but um just i can i like being there and being in the first row of seats like i could see like it, 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 it can, I'm sure, feel pressure packed. Um, but I, I do wish that maybe some other witnesses were called. A P, like I said, a P5 men's basketball or football player who is likely to have been approached by, you know, NIL tampering before. Um, I, anybody who runs a collective at a Power Five, like I, I, I wish they would have spoken with a witness who represents a collective, so we could kind of get into the, the what is it that um collectives are doing as third parties and not attached to the institution, but maybe sometimes blurring the lines in terms of where the power really lies with that. Uh, so it, there, there was some background information that the Congress people received, but uh, it honestly, a lot of it was the Congress people kind of getting to uh, cheerlead for their state universities and all this stuff in their alma maters. It was kind of amusing to see people uh, sparring over Georgia, Florida and that rivalry. Like you, there was a Georgia flag unfurled at one point, like a UGA flag behind the one rep from Georgia. And the, he was riling up like the, the Florida people were going back and forth with the Georgia. Anyway, so that was cool. Hard to lose track of that. But at some point, like honestly, like college sports, like they, they do need Congress to take this seriously if, if the NCAA is really looking to this body to save it right like this entity to save it so those are my big rambling conclusions it was a very insightful day for me to see at least how the process works how a congressional hearing works how matters that aren't just nil but other house subcommittee topics get worked on uh, it was interesting for sure the way it's not it's not a trial but there are witnesses and it is very structured and you know you get five minutes for questions after you know your five minutes of like an opening uh statement as, as the hearing gets started and people kind of laid out their the, the Congress people laid out their opinions as well for their initial impressions of what this is all about and why it's important. So it, it I'm not saying it was a complete waste or anything like that, but there were there were holes. I think there were holes in who was called as a witness. There were holes in um I think the specifics of enforcement and there are holes in like how bad it actually can be right now because we didn't really get into the exact nature of collectives. There was more spinning off into talking about a possible future employee model for student athletes and all that. Whereas in reality, the hearing was supposed to be 
some, a little bit more narrowly minded about NIL. And I understand that employee models an offshoot of that. And we're, you know, we're opening up the door towards that. But uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was a positive, I think. But at the same time, I didn't walk away feeling that much more confident that you're that, you know, it wasn't like, oh, we're one giant leap closer to federal legislation on this. But it was, it was neat that it was on the agenda because these folks are very busy. These Congress people were going in and out of the hearing, like, they had to go attend another hearing at the same time and come back and get filled in, uh, which I'm told happens like a little more regularly than we would think. So uh, it was neat to be there. I was glad to be there. I was glad it occurred, but it wasn't perfect. There's my there's my absolutely crazy answer to that. <laughs> yeah, just um, yeah. NIL is a tricky subject because like the idea of NIL is great. Like yeah. I think like college athletes have YouTube channels that are be able that uh, are like. Yep monetize like you should be able to make money off that like 100 um like and people getting like legit brand deals like i know like when like nil first started like the cavender twins yeah. they got they get signed some stuff at like midnight or whatever or yeah. something like that so like yep. that that was actually legit yep, but it now is. now like nil isn't nil just like pay to play right right which is just disguised as nil Right, and that's the main con- because do, do you know like in college basketball like how much these guys are worth? Well, what 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 is what are you referring to specifically? Like how like in college basketball, how much they're worth to actual legitimate like business interests? No, like how much or... they're getting, like how much these guys are getting. Like well, collectors are pulling. Yeah, collectors are pulling together what is you know now less and less covertly pay for play. So that pay for play and the concerns around that is really the backdrop to that NIL hearing. But we didn't even like we didn't really attack. I say we we didn't get to see like Congress did not really attack or get to question or speak with like people who are either working at collectives or the student athletes who are most likely have been approached by collectives and get a real sense of what's actually happening in the supposed like NIL Wild West. Right. So yeah, because that's what's a major issue, in my opinion. Yeah. Like these guys are just like going into portal because they know they can get like six figure deals. Like right. guys that aren't even like, like I heard Kirk Risa who was, who's like, okay. Like he probably like, I think Kylan Boswell on Arizona was like ready to take his spot over for next season. I, th- I heard he was getting like between like 500 and 700 K. Seven the fish, rumors are seven wild, fish. and it's hard to like, even back up what's like. It's hard to corroborate a lot of that, but it it starts with a grain of truth. There's, there's usually at least a grain of truth to it. So somewhere there's a big yeah, like a big offer. Like you have to have like over like well over a million dollars like in nil just like build a rotation. Like yeah, it's and that's not, that and that's not how it should be, right? Like that's a problem. Like no. that's not what college basketball. So and then like yeah, like tampering, like like obviously since I'm a Creighton fan, I have some strong opinions on this yeah. because. Yeah. Obviously, we saw that uh, Ryan Nemhard uh, entered the portal the other day, uh, and like I, I knew about this, uh, I knew that there was a good chance that this would happen for a few days, and that he will likely be going to Arizona, which that that most likely will happen. But like I, I've heard that they've been talking to him for months. So like, and this is not just like a one-time situation, like. People are like actively recruiting other teams' players in FAU. season. Yep. Yeah, like FAU. Dusty May mentioned, like during the tournament run, like these players were getting recruited by other teams. Like right, the portal is supposed to be available to you, but there shouldn't be contacting like, of players who aren't already in the portal. Right. Like, I mean, I mean, like legal, this, legally, yeah. you can't do that, but yeah, I mean, like that that doesn't really hasn't really seemed to bother any of these people, and yeah, like 
it's just gotten so out of hand. Like, I, I don't know if you've heard this at all, but there are rumors that Adama Snogo possibly will enter the portal and the favorite seems to be Memphis. I don't, have you heard that at all? Uh, no, but <laughs> honestly, like, what I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be, su- I'm not gonna let myself be surprised about it, maybe because I mean, yeah, because did you, did you see that Klingon today announced he'll be back? So, yeah, like I'm nodding for our, I'm nodding for our listeners. Yes, yes. <laughs> he, he was nodding, I can confirm on the Zoom, <laughs> but yeah, like Klingon, like I, I feel like Yukon fans are ready to like just like take on the fact that Klingon is like gonna be the guy now. He only played like 13 minutes a game last year, and he will be ready for a big increase. And no way Snow comes back either way. Like he could go NBA, but there is some like a lot of growing speculation that he will be entering the portal because Klingon will not come back to play like 15 minutes a game again because he could have been a first round draft pick. But Snowgo, like I'm, I'm not saying like him to Memphis is a done deal for sure. I mean, it might, it might be honestly, but like. He'll probably enter the portal and the draft, but like, just a thought that like the best player on a championship team going into portal that that is just crazy to me, and that's like that's just how we, that's how nil has gotten. Like another thing is a Creighton fan, like I can't really blame Nemhard from doing this because I'm assuming he's getting like close to a million dollars from Arizona. Like he's not right, right. An, he he's not an NBA player, like. He's a good college basketball player, but probably is not going to have an NBA future. Like this could be the largest contract of his basketball career that he gets. Like, well, it's, and again, nil nil is not supposed to be a a play a play contract. No, but it's, it's, it's like, not, well, but it's what it is. <laughs> yeah. But it's what it is, and like th- this will be the largest like sum of money. Like if he goes like Julie or overseas, he's not going to get a million million dollars a year likely, and that's probably what he will be getting at Arizona. So like you you can't really fault the players like th- this is like life changing money that they're getting, but also like it just kind of takes the whole idea out of college sports. So it's there's I don't know, but it makes the portal more interesting because these guys are just going and chasing deals. And I mean, maybe it's not super fun if you're like a fan of one of these teams. But just like as a fan of like like it's more fun for me to watch like more players enter the portal and like it's it's making for some fun off season that's for it's sure making, it's making for some fun hoop scoop media it is it is yeah and it got in and, and the and the and the nil current framework or lack of guardrails on it gave me a chance to get to dc so gave me a chance to get on capitol hill so selfishly what a what a time it was trey burton was there he was a witness as well former eagles tight end the uh, player in the Philly special so okay. that was that was big for my my, my people back home they all the Philadelphia area folks they were happy I got to I got to see Trey Burton real briefly but uh yeah I should have mentioned as well he he played at Florida he played college football at Florida so they got him involved too but like the witnesses were called like pretty well connected to the the people on the committee so like the representative from Florida helped get Burton involved and like I there was so much of this like grandstanding about oh my school and all, like we're talking about college sports so we can talk about like this that and other thing about how Florida and Georgia football have won this like at some point like we had to get real about like what's critically at issue here so it, I mean I get it I appreciate seeing this the House of Representatives members in their in their state you rah rah like mentality <laughs> like I did get to, I enjoyed that in a sense I did but like we have to like we have to buckle up like that's what we gotta do we gotta buckle up on this because yeah your points are all 
you said it succinctly, Austin, at least in the, especially in like basketball. And it's, it's, I, my, I have a lot of background in college football too, but in basketball, especially it's, it's like more and more thinly veiled paper play. Yes. It's unfortunate and because I mean, there are valid, there are valid deals happening that are really nice to see. Like you're a student athlete. I know, like, I know you're not a college basketball student athlete, but you have this enterprise here and like, I'm glad that like like other student athletes who happen to be high end division one players or any 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 level of college basketball player can without worry about eligibility have a valid entrepreneurial or sponsorship or marketing enterprise. Like that's all that's all well and good. Yeah, well I can say that I have not made anything off NIL, which uh <laughs> I'm not planning on entering the portal and testing my value. Maybe maybe some <laughs> schools will be uh willing to give me uh like six figures uh oh yeah but that that is not a plan i have there i'm right re- i'm reassured to hear that yep yep. yeah you, you sound uh, like you have a pretty I'm good st- thing going at it and, and uh at uh northwest mizzou because you, you're what was we talking about the the four were you doing the four plus one was that what you're looking what you were looking to do i don't remember exactly. yes okay so yeah i'll i'll um have two more seasons of cross-country eligibility and then three more seasons of track. So, like, the fifth nice. year will just be track. But, yeah, yeah, I'm uh, – <laughs> that that will be my home for five years unless a coaching change happens, which I do not anticipate happening. So, yeah, um, and anything else just in this whole episode that needs to be uh, touched on? Well, I do think NIL really ties it all together well because we talked about we talked about notable transfer moves and like we have said so often we were like, well, how much did NIL play into it? Like, <laughs> and it's not always widely it's not always widely reported too. Like, and you can have situations where naturally, in in a perfect idealistic NIL world, it would still be a factor. Like, hey, it does this raise my profile? If I went to this school, would I would would my own like brand be worth more? And like, would I have better opportunities as an individual to actually make valid nil arrangements that are true truthfully commercial operations but like not how much is this school going to offer me to play like directly pay for play is yeah it's it's totally totally different bagman market so it's uh and i'm not and i I think i want to say again i thought it and i i may have said it once i don't mean to villainize the student athletes here because as the current student athletes now how how are they supposed to not like take advantage of what's in front of them right like these are yeah, adults. Like this is like potential life-changing money <laughs> yeah for sure these are the adults we have to we have to worry about the not the young adults as much as the uh, full-fledged adults who are working in this space have to figure it out mm-hmm. all right well is that uh an episode it's an episode i think i think hopefully hopefully that's my one strong note i can end it on don't let me do don't don't get don't let me don't let me mess it up now <laughs> All right, well, in that case, we will see you next week.